Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. If you at all hear my teeth chattering, that is because I am in my office and uh, some reason the HVAC has gone out in our building and it's really cold. It's like 54 degrees, which for me in California, that's closed. I got my jacket on, so you might hear some rustling, but welcome back to the program. Uh, Today, my guest, Michael McKinnon. How did Michael and I come to do a podcast together? Uh, And let me tell you a little bit of backstory to that. I got a call from Anita, Anita Covelli. Uh, she is our director of alliances at DemandGen. And Michael and Anita worked together back when they were at ReadyTalk. And they happened to see each other recently at a dinner where they were all together, hosted by Integrate. So shout out to Integrate. Thank you for bringing the team together. And Michael and Anita were catching up. And Anita said, you know, maybe you should do a podcast with Dave. And here we are together, and I will properly introduce Michael in a minute. But the point I want to make is, you know, I was in New Orleans last week, and I was very fortunate to run into Dana and Danielle and Rick. And if you don't recognize those names, those are three other folks that I have already done podcasts with before. And the reason that I bring them up, not only was it incredible to just all be in the same place, which was cool because they didn't know each other. Well, two of them knew each other, but they didn't all know each other. Um, was that two of them said to me, you know, Dave, when you reached out or I heard you say, hey, if you want to be on the program to reach out to you, I didn't know if that was kind of like, you know, sincere and and not, I don't think that I sounded authentic, but they really didn't know that when I say on this program that if you have a story to tell and you want to share your knowledge and inspiration and ideas with others, definitely reach out to me because that's how this happens. I'm very blessed that we've worked with hundreds of companies, and so many of those folks uh, love to be on the program, and I have them on the program, but there's many of you out there that I've never met that are doing some really, really cool things, and that brings me back to Michael, because we got to know each other a little bit earlier this week, and I was so glad that Anita connected us together so I could bring Michael onto the program and share some of the very cool and unique things that Mike is doing. So, Mike, thank you for joining me in the program. Great to have you. That's great to be here. Thanks, Dave. You bet. Uh, so Michael is the Senior Director of Global Marketing Operations at Logarithm, and he is, uh, well, Mike, why don't you talk a little bit about your role, and then uh, I want to I dive into some of the things that we talked about earlier around data, but could you kind of give uh, maybe a, a day or week in the life? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that'd be great. So yeah, so at Logarithm, uh, Global Marketing Operations, and my, my purview there is basically automation, reporting, telequal, and web. Um, so all four of those groups re- report under me. And that's been, I've been lucky enough to have those four groups under me um, at Avaya, my previous company, uh, as well. So I, with those four groups, you get a nice spread of technology, a good exposure to a lot of business processes. Um, and of course, being fortunate enough to have the telequal team under you as well, expose you to the sales force as well. So marketing and sales alignment is always a huge passion of mine, as I know it is of, of yours as well. Um, so I, I've been fortunate enough to be on the front lines of that alignment at both a large global firm like Avaya and a smaller commercial, but also global footprint at Logan as well. So uh, really excited to be here. Great to have you. 
Um, let's dive in because uh, it was really fascinating to hear what you were talking about, about this, the committee that you put together around data. And I'd just like for you to kind of replay that story. What, what prompted, you know, what, maybe you could describe the initiative and what prompted you guys forming that committee and the goals and, and some of those changes that you're bringing about. Sure. Yeah. So at Logarithm, we have really have two initiatives that have spurred uh, a larger data conversation within our organization. And essentially, this is a problem in every organization. Uh, this conversation, however, has taken it beyond your normal, hey, let's append data, let's enrich data. Um, and this has taken it to a higher level of, of account structure. And essentially, the two the two initiatives that we have going are one is a, a customer marketing initiative that has a lot of organizational backing and a lot of inertia. Um, and that is really forcing us to understand our customers and our customer account hierarchy. And then the other one, of course, is something that probably everyone is undertaking now as well as account-based marketing. And again, you know, that is forcing us to take a hard look at our accounts. And, you know, in doing that, we're asking hard questions of sales. Who owns the accounts? Who owns a division? Who owns a subsidiary? Um, and so you start to get into these kind of uh, questions uh, throughout these two initiatives. And then essentially what you start to understand and what everyone really understands is that every or every group in an organization touch, touches data and these decisions can't be made in any sort of a vacuum with just two or three groups. Um, so that's essentially the groundwork for uh, our, two, our two larger data initi- initiatives that um, we have going on. Got it. You know, when I uh, when Dreamforce was taking place, I was speaking about ABM, and I, I did a talk called Unboxing ABM, and then I went on to do that for another event that uh, Mintigo asked me to come in and do a keynote for them at their customer advisory meeting. And the thing that I said to the group was one of the greatest places to start you know, developing the muscle memory and expertise around ABM is the lower funnel, is it the install base and customer base um, for a couple of reasons. One is there's so much revenue in your install base uh, to mine and grow. So many marketing teams are so focused on net new and net new and net new, they uh, overlook and and don't really channel their marketing activities to growing the base. Um, As you mentioned, you were at Avaya, right? A almost, what, $4 billion company, right? They've got a lot of clients, a lot of install base, all of us do, even if you're at a at a company like Logarithm and, and back when you were at ReadyTalk. So it's it's very it's much easier to establish who your target accounts are in your install base to go after and grow, and yet so many people don't do it. So it's it's very cool that you guys have recognized that and putting efforts there. I remember uh, talking to Cochlear, the guys who do the uh, ear implants, you know, for for people that have lost their hearing and bringing that back, and they too want to be focused uh, in growing that revenue base. So how is it how is it going the initiative? And maybe you could kind of walk uh, people through the process and some of the key steps that you're taking. Um, yeah, so you know it is a, a huge focus, as I said, in 2019. So it's in its infancy before our customer marketing really equated to order taking. Um, so, you know, we have renewals and maintenance contracts that we renew. And then, of course, what we would call our existing new business as our customer business. And that would come in at regular paces, but we never put any resources or, or, or uh, marketing efforts behind it. Now, essentially, we're, we're, you know, essentially, we want to see that grow. We're putting pipeline numbers behind it. We're putting resources behind it. And we're at our infancy. But the, the main thing we're getting at now is we're aligning with our CRM team um, who is the, the basically the account management team, and we're we're beginning to understand that 
our account structure in Salesforce is not equipped to help them understand buying centers um, and also divisions, like I said, uh, locations that might have separate buying centers. Um, and that, that structure in our database is non-existent. Yeah. Um, so in order for our marketing team to actually market to people, we need to know, okay, you know, um, is this person in Texas or is this person in California? Because in California, they're a customer, but in Texas, they're not. Um, we don't have that type of granular uh, folk, um, granular visibility into our account structure to, to help them with that. And that's the same with ABM, that initiative as, as well. You know, who owns the account? Well, if sales says, well, it's the U.S. domestic headquarters that owns the account, we have to be able to understand where, where is that? Um, and, and, and where is that? And then what, what uh, divisions and subsidiaries and locations roll up under that domestic headquarters and where are they? Um, and so that, that's the kind of thing we're struggling with now. Yeah. It's really interesting how, you know, when you look at uh, CRM, you guys use Salesforce, right? Correct. Okay. So, you know, um, for, for probably 95% of the people listening, um, use Salesforce as well. But doesn't matter what CRM you have. What happens over time? Field creep, right? The layouts and, yeah. and there's more and more and more and more fields added to your CRM. And yet here Mike's talking about, hey, we, we don't even have necessarily the right data and field values to enable some of the targeting and segmentation that we want to do. Yet I bet your CRM has more fields than it needs and more pick list values than it needs because most CRMs, right, over time get to be what looks like an episode of hoarders. So by you guys putting together you know, a group to really define some standards on what fields are required for effective marketing and targeting and segmentation, reporting, et cetera, um, helps to bring a little bit more discipline. You know, I'm, I'm personally not one that likes, you know, too much process or too many hurdles to get stuff done. I've worked at really, really large companies and I've worked at more mid-sized companies and I'm definitely a fan of more agile environments. But if you have no process, uh, and it's just the wild west when it comes to marketing operations and sales operations down the road because everybody has an opinion of what the fields and layouts and values and processes should be. Um, you wind up really um, affecting your your ability to to do good marketing and good good selling. Um, you talked with me the other day too about you know really some discipline around opportunity creation, and I'd like you to take the folks through that because to me that was that was. Um, that's a thought-provoking discussion, and uh, would you mind replaying, Mike, that where that came about, that that governance that you guys are thinking about opportunity creation? Let's let's dig into that. Yeah, there's so um, exactly right. There's actually two points of governance that I'd like to put in. One is that council that I think that you refer to as that data council. Yeah, um, and and that's the first thing. Knowing that every every department in an organization touches data, support, services, account management, uh, engineers. Um, and they all do it, and they all have different data they care about, um, and they all um, contribute to dirty data at, at varying levels. And um, knowing that, and and so what we've done is what we're, we're, we we point out as a form of data council, each group will identify their key values that they hold near and dear, minimum thresholds of data. Yep. We'll come together and we'll agree on those. And 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 some of those might not be my fields; they might be support fields. Or they might be, but there's minimum threshold of data. And as a council, we've agreed we'll all be responsible for this minimum threshold. And then you have another threshold that's actually unique to that group. Now, that group is responsible for that threshold, uh, that, that data. Um, and then um, that, that council then decides any new fields, any new code, 
We're trying to stay away from code going forward in Salesforce. Um, and then, of course, the appending service that lays on top of that um, and the account hierarchy. That, that's that one governance there. Um, and then the next governance is what you said, the, the opportunity creation. And that's really opportunity creation and account creation. I would extend it to that. Um, so just to put some things in context, I've been marketing operations for um, almost 15 years now, back when it first started. So in 2002, three, we were Marketo's 50th customer. Um, we were Salesforce's, uh, one of their first customers in 2001, and we actually moved off it for sugar, if you can imagine that, and Ooh, came back to Yeah, it. but you came um, back. So I've been on, <laughs> yeah, so I've been on Salesforce since 2001. Um, so I've, I've been in, in the industry, and um, really, um, the biggest thing I see is lead conversion into opportunity as one of the biggest offenders of dirty data. Um, and now whether you're having your SDR team do that or your RSM or your, you know, your regional reps, your, your account reps doing that, that lead conversion to account um, without account matching, with just letting the rep do it, um, creates tons of duplicate accounts, creates tons of duplicate contacts. And I think in my estimation, that is the, the dirtiest part of the funnel in Salesforce because of the way it's structured and leads are so separated from contacts and, and accounts. Now, reps can certainly create a opportunity from a contact or an account. What I've done is we don't allow them to do it from the account because you lose all sorts of attribution that way. Um, so that the idea of the opportunity creation, account creation, is kind of put governance around that breakpoint in the link. Because, you know, it, like I said, that, that's the, I think that is the dirtiest break point there. So essentially what we're saying is, one, what we'd like to do is create all accounts, known accounts in Salesforce with the right structure, in the right hierarchy, and it's there. The shell is there. Contacts might, might not be there on them, but the accounts are there and they're structured correctly. And for that, we're looking at stuff like Dunn's numbers and then using a service and maybe like traction hierarchy that can pull those Dunn's numbers together and give you you know, a nice visual force page of subsidiaries and divisions and, and locations and buying centers and, and trying to do that. So we understand and build all those shells. Yeah. Um, don't, don't let anyone else build accounts. And then essentially when things, opportunities are created, um, the sales operations creates those opportunities. They convert the lead, the attached to the right account, or they just build the opportunity on top of the, the account and contact. Uh, That's the kind of governance we're talking about. Yeah, Let, let's drill into some of that a little bit more. So, you know, I've, I've said in my book and I've said uh, on the program many times, like, go walk in the shoes of sales. I mean, literally, if you're in marketing, take some time and go over and sit with your SDR team or sit with your sales team while they're working in Salesforce or your CRM and watch what is involved with them doing their job. Really take a moment and understand and what I'm suggesting you look for is when a lead is created, watch how they find the lead. Watch how they open the lead record. Take a look at what fields they use and don't use, um, how they enter information. Have them kind of narrate to you as they explain their thought process of what they're doing so that you can take a look. You know, I called my book Manufacturing Demand because I wanted to use the metaphor of a manufacturing process where leads are, are raw materials. And what Mike, you know, given his experience and the things that he's done, is he's really uh, knowledgeable about what this process looks like. You know, he knows in depth that when native Salesforce, you can, from an account object, create an opportunity. 
and he knows the downfall of doing that. He also knows why someone would normally do it there because they're looking at an account and they're maybe entering information, looking at their contacts, and they want to go, boom, time to create an opportunity, stage whatever. And when they do that, there are no contacts associated with the opportunity. That's that's native. So what we do for a lot of our clients as we pimp out their CRM is we remove the functionality, the buttons and links from the account object so that you can't yep. do it there and retrain sales, right? So that they are at a contact level and at least create an opportunity from the contact level, which associates at least one contact to that, bringing some attribution there. Now, there are tools and methodologies to do contact association to opportunities, definitely for, you know, depending on your level of maturity. The point I want to make and, and come back to with you, Mike, right, is that you've got to walk in the shoes of sales and watch what they do so that you understand why there are some, some data gaps and take a look at the fields that they're using and not using so that less is more, that you can trim down those layouts and views. But you're even going, for, and feel free to come back and, and comment on any of that, Mike, but you're even going further in saying, right, that if you want to create an accountant sales force, sales team, you have to request it from operations for us to make in a new account for you because with this account, with this data committee, uh, you're going to then say, okay, if we're going to create an account that doesn't already exist for some reason in the CRM, we're going to populate it with a minimum set of, of, of data and values so that when it eventually becomes, you know, ideally a customer or what have you, we've got a minimum set of data associated with that account that we need. It's not a duplicate account. And that process is being followed, and I think that's a that's a controversial um, stance because you are adding I'm going to call it friction to the process. You're adding an additional layer of interaction required between two different people to achieve that. Now there is good rhyme and reason uh, for that, and I'm going to come back to some points, but I just want to get your thoughts on that. And I think you were also suggesting that when you create an opportunity, that that request right would come to an individual to create the opportunity for you and, and populate it with a minimum set? You guys are, are doing that or thinking about those things? So, yeah, just a quick uh, quick comment on that. Yeah, the opportunity creation would only – we would allow the reps to do it on a contact or an account. When they're converting a lead, um, they would have to request it so it gets attached to the right account. That, that's the idea there. Or we would have someone pre-match the lead with an account ID on that lead record so when the rep did hit convert, um, it goes to the right account. So that's the issue. So, you know, you're getting back to a crux issue, uh, that handoff, right? As, as, as you and I know, that handoff is where it's all falling apart yep. um, for most companies where marketing hands it to sales. And that's right there at the conversion. So, you know, functionally, systematically, and, and tech-wise, that handoff is the, is the conversion for most companies. At, at, at Logarithm, it is because most reps come back when we design this, the sales force came back and said, stop creating opportunities and putting them in our funnel. That was the major feedback we got. I've been at other companies where the, the SDR team would qualify the lead, convert it to a unqualified opportunity stage zero, and then the rep would pick it up, qualify it, move it to one or two or three and beyond. But it's in the funnel at that point. Um, and so once it's an op and a contact and an account, it's harder for marketing to get it back um, and, and keep nurturing it if it gets rejected that. So we made a conscious decision at Logarithm to say, okay, you know, you're going to take that first meeting. The sales accepted lead will be a lead record. Um, and then after that lead, you're going to convert it if it actually is an opportunity. It's going to skip over 
stage one and go right to qualified stage two because you just did that meeting as a lead record. But essentially what that's doing is it's saying, okay, Mr. Rep or Mrs. Rep, you're going to have to do the conversion. Um, and that's a brand new world at Logarithm for these reps. And, and sometimes that's a brand new world for a lot of reps, depending on how that lead management system is functioning. Um, so now my point, my main point is you mentioned that it creates more friction. I would challenge that. Um, and, and let me lay this out. I would challenge that it actually is going to create less friction. Um, and so let me lay a little, a, a little, some, some stories out, examples out. So one currently, as most, most companies probably have, we have a violation dashboard, right? And it is telling all the reps how many leads they haven't accepted, <clears throat> how many SALs that they haven't converted or rejected. And there's violations everywhere. They get beat up weekly on it. Um, the there's, there's, shame. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it happens at every company, right? And to some companies to a higher degree than others, some, some at Avaya, it was literally called the wall of shame. And it was an email that went around to all the VPs and you did not want to be on that. Um, so there's, that's a lot of friction there, right? So, and so now we're essentially asking the reps, Hey, do something you're uncomfortable with. And if you don't do it, um, you're, you're going to be on this violation dashboard and be ashamed. Um, and that's what, essentially what we're saying now is you don't have to do that. Um, you're, you're, we're going to take that away from you. We'll convert it. You don't have to worry about it. Um, it's going to be right. Um, it's going to be attached to the right account and you'll get it within two days, SLA of two days, right? Um, if there's no account, don't worry about it. Don't create it. Put in a ticket. We'll create it for you. It will be created correctly and you don't get yelled at because it's created, created wrong. So, you know, in, if you're looking at it kind of in a holistic way and then, you know, the amount of time my team spends fixing data that their sales reps are basically most of the sales reps because we're marketing ops have done, you know, um, ops that have been attributed wrong contacts that weren't put in right leads that were converted wrong. Um, you know, the amount of times we've had to fix that, that's a cost to the company too. Um, so, you know, you got to look at it just from a more holistic perspective rather than just, um, sales friction. It can come in more than one way. Right. And, and so at logarithm, we've intentionally designed the system to be as simple as possible. They really have to just, um, our acceptance is via email. Um, and it's an email they get with an approve or deny button. And they just click a button and it will then sync back to Salesforce and change the status for that. Um, so, you know, and, and, you know, reps don't want to be in Salesforce most of them. They want to be out selling. And, you know, there's yeah. tools that are helping, helping them actually that have finally given up. Right. Like um, there's a tool clearly that we have. It's a business intelligence tool. Mm -hmm. And it's they essentially said, stop trying to get your reps to be in Salesforce. They never will. We will scrape their outlook calendar. We will get their activities and meetings from there and we'll put them into Salesforce for you. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's essentially giving up on that old, hey, you got to do it in Salesforce. And we, they've essentially given up on that. And we said, OK, we're, we're going to stop hindering you. We're going to take the friction away of Salesforce. Um, and. I would argue we're going to take the friction away of creating opportunities from you. We're going to take the friction away of creating accounts for you. Know, that's kind of how I would phrase it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you came back to the word friction because I definitely want to um, add some clarity of what I mean by the word. Because I, I think you guys are all going to hear me talk about this a lot in 2019 because it's something I'm very passionate about. Right? When you think about it, right? You know, Mike, you, you went to dinner that night with, with Anita, and I'm not sure how you got home. But let's just pretend that you got a ride home in an Uber or a Lyft. And you could have been walking down the hallway with Anita. You could have headed to an elevator if there was one. And on the way out the door, 
um, through that process, have a car waiting for you, your private driver, right? By simply pulling out your phone as you're walking, you know, request a car, pick which one you want, uh, confirm its location, maybe thumb in where you're going, and it's there. And compare and contrast that to like hailing a cab in the old days, right? You'd have to go out on the street. If you're in New York City, you're competing. You know, you're finally getting a cab. It's cold. It's rainy. And all that is what I mean by friction, taking friction out of the process. And we are in an era of needing to be frictionless. That is in selling. That is in buying. That is the alignment between sales and marketing. So what I want to encourage everybody uh, in marketing operations and sales operations out there is to look at all the steps and systems and processes that you are putting in place and whether this is adding friction or removing friction from process. And that scraping and examples that you just gave, Mike, are great. Like if we could make, you know, in the perfect world, you would just think about accounts and contacts and opportunities. They would just get created. All attribution would be a properly associated and deals would either close or not. And, uh, you know, you'd know exactly what campaigns work and don't work. And we'd live in this magical little utopian fantasy land where, you know, everything that marketing does is is attributed to uh, revenue so they can make better judgments about what works and what doesn't. And every sales rep knows um, what every one of their target accounts is doing and not doing and whether they're an opportunity and whether they close, right? So the closest we can get to like, you know, creating as little um, friction as possible is, is, is important. When I worked for Microsoft, I mean, this is 1988, way dating myself. We used to demo Microsoft Windows and Microsoft Word and Excel to people. And what we were saying is, hey, over here in WordPerfect, you have to hit this keystroke and you have to do control I, and then you have to type what you want and then hit control I. And we would t- describe to them in just writing a standard, you know, one page document, how many keystrokes they would need to make as opposed to just typing the document and then clicking an icon and making things bold. And, you know, some of the largest companies in the world would switch from WordPerfect and Lotus and that type of stuff to a visual GUI because it was more efficient. And why are we not doing that all the time in our CRM and looking at what we've created for sales reps that are either hurdles or, or clicks and obstacles? you got to get all of that out of the process so they can spend, as you said, more time selling and less time just dealing with, with software, which is not what they woke up wanting to do. They get their energy and their success from interactions with prospects and not interaction with software. Yeah, and that's a that's a you know it's a great point of that that friction. And, you know, intentionally, sales salespeople are are good at at reducing friction on their own. Um, so if you put a frictionless point, I get back to it's it's kind of like content, right? So the form is friction with content, and that the value of that content better be worth the friction of that form. Great point. Um, so essentially, essentially what we're saying we're saying the same thing. The reps came back when we designed this lead management system. They, they were saying, you know what, I, I get it. There's going to be friction on that lead conversion, but the value of controlling what goes into my funnel is way greater than the friction I'm going to get from converting it myself. That's what they said is a conscious decision when they said that. And I, I kind of agree because things were getting dumped in their funnel that weren't of the greatest quality and they were getting things for it. So I understand that reaction. But now essentially what they're coming back a year later and saying, oh, okay, all right. Um, you know, the value is still there. But that friction is—it's pretty bad. Um, so we, we, we're, we're assessing and we're saying, okay, the value's still there. So let's take that friction away of conversion. We'll do it for you. 
Or another thing we're looking at is, like I said, what we did at Avaya is when that lead comes in, it gets matched to an account. The account ID gets put, the associated account ID gets put on that lead record. And then the rep can essentially just hit convert and it will get attached to the right account automatically. That's another way to reduce that friction. Nice. Hey, since we touched on uh, technology just a little bit, I want to get, you have, you know, 20 uh, years of experience in, in demand gen, a lot of experience in marketing operations. I would love to ask you to share your insights on MarTech investing and usage, right? So you've got a couple key tools in your stack. Um, you've got your marketing automation system. You've got your CRM. How does Mike McKinnon uh, identify new tools as you're, as you're approaching 2019? How, you know, is it, is it, is it intentfully where you've got pain identified and you're saying, okay, I, I need to solve this pain. I'm going to look for a tool for it. Is it through some discovery and people, you know, reaching out to you? I'd love to hear, you know, the, the reason I'm asking this, there was a, uh, article that just came out from Gartner where they announced, and I put it up on LinkedIn. I showed some of the graphics. In fact, it's, it's a great article about CMOs investing 29% of their budget is going to go to MarTech, um, which is a big increase over last year. So a lot of people were predicting that there would be a de- you know decline in MarTech spending. What I'm seeing is it's not a decline. People are recognizing the Venn diagram overlaps between different tools and they're sunsetting tools either because they didn't get value from it or they're tools that are now doing what they you know bought that uh, solution for. But how does Mike McKinnon discover, select, and, and onboard technology. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that since you've got a lot of experience there. Yeah, you know, and it's, that's like probably the, the most fun part about marketing operations, right, is, is, is discovering new tech, learning about new tech, and seeing all the cool things it does. But it's also probably the part of marketing operations that has the biggest pitfall because you can get tech mania. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure I'll raise my hand as guilty of that in my initial stages of marketing ops, right? New shiny things are all so great, especially back in 2005 and six and seven and eight when this tech was just pouring into the market Everyone had broadband. Uh, marketing automation was, you know, hitting its sweet spot, um, and you know, Salesforce was becoming really robust in that, and everyone was adopting it. Um, so, really, the way I, I look at tech now is, you have your pillars of tech, and if you asked me five, six years ago, those pillars would have been your CRM and your automation tool. Asking me now, those pillars have expanded, and I would say. It's an automation tool. It's a CRM tool. And now it's what I would call our, our, your lead management package, which comes with, you know, tools that we talked about in our previous conversation, Dave, full circle, lean data, visible. So it's tools like funnel metrics, campaign attribution, which I think if marketing is going to prove any kind of, of ROI with any kind of believability, you're going to have to have some something like that. Um, lead to account matching, lead routing, and then account schooling. Yeah, table all stakes those, now. All those, yeah, all of those come in one package, and you have all these different texts nibbling at those from different. They're coming from different parts of that. Um, and then, so I think you need to have those. Um, and then once you have those, everything else is driven by need. Mm-hmm. Um, ABM. Do, do I do I actually need predictive, or can I just do? Uh, meet with my RSN, my reps, my uh, account reps, and, and get identify my target accounts that way. Right? Do I actually need, you know, and it's funny, five years ago, I would have also said data pending. Now I've taken that off. I don't, it, that's not, it's one, I, I've, I have yet to find a solution that is actually 
you know, get, get the sufficient enough match rate to um, the data I get back, even from the best companies is, is, is 70%, 80% correct. And some of it's obviously wrong when you just eyeball it and it's frustrating. Um, and, you know, three, it's, it's hard if you're going to, if we look at our data council and we're going to have a count hierarchy and that data is coming in, you know, we have to be sure it's matching the hierarchy. So I'm pulling data pending off of that table stake. Um, I think it's a necessary, I, I was going to say evil, but I'll stop from saying evil. I think it's a necessary <laughs> component of MarTech, um, but I don't think it's an absolute. Now you have things like LinkedIn um, and other free sources to get things out of. And if you have an SDR team, that can be, you know, my SDR team is really, a, a, their, part of their job is a data shield. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they will manually get, segmentation from discover org or LinkedIn and things like that and fill out that lead record uh, properly. So, um, and so then, yes, like I said, those table stakes, and then it's really driven by need and need could be, Hey, I need ABM or need could be, I need ABM uh, focused advertising like Rollworks or AdRoll or uh, a need could be, Hey, I need uh, channel to and through partner marketing. Right. Um, or it could be, I need a PRM system. So everything beyond those table stakes, I think, is driven as a need. And you could even make the argument that when you're immature, even those table stakes are need-based, right? I think you'll eventually get to that maturity where you have those table stakes. Um, but even those come on a need-based effort. And even the marketing automation, you might go, you know, HubSpot and then move on to something something more more sophisticated and just move up the stack and, and that, and that becomes need-based too. But um, to buy tech without a need, um, is is a recipe for disaster, and to buy tech without a strategy uh, is actually even worse. Last question for you. Uh, I want to contrast uh, ReadyTalk and Avaya and now Logarithm, your last three companies. How big is the marketing operations team uh, at Logarithm as a comparison to the total size of the marketing team and, and going back through those other companies as well, just to share some perspective. Cause I've got, I've got a lot of clients that we work with where, you know, marketing operations is not, it's, it's not a department, it's a person. Um, there aren't a whole bunch of people on yeah. the team. Uh, I have other yeah. clients where marketing operations is 40, 50 people. Um, so yep. can you share some perspective? Cause that, you know, now we're going back 14 uh, or so years sure. and, and, and showing the changes. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I've been lucky enough to see the whole spread. So ReadyTalk, I was the seventh person hired. And when I left, there were 250 people there. I was the one-person marketing ops department. I bought Marketo. I bought Salesforce. I integrated them. I put them together. I ran Marketo. Put them together. I ran Marketo. I did all the campaigns. And then eventually we moved to Eloqua, and I hired a couple people under me. Um, and then the Telequa team moved under me at ReadyTalk. And I became a full-blown operations at our biggest. I was probably me with three operations people under me and three telequal people under me at ReadyTalk. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest we got there. And then, uh, you know, switched over to Avaya. And, you know, obviously, you know, I had, you know, 60, if you count the agencies I had under me, I had upwards of 80 to 100 people under me across the globe. Um, Direct reports, I had operations, three or four operations people spread across America. North America. I had two or three operations people spread across Europe. I had a whole agency in India to do most of the manual email work, planning page construction. Um, and I had operations people spread across South America and APAC as well. Um, so that's that, that, and I also had Telequal under me there at, at Avaya. So that was, you know, from 
that was as large as you get, right? Um, and at Logarithm, it's a nice in-between. And, you know, at, at Logarithm, again, I have about three to four automation people, two to three reporting people, about seven or eight SDRs, and about four to five web um, under me. And so that's kind of the in-between. Uh, Logarithm is about 600 people. Um, obviously, Avaya was 10,000, and, and ReadyTalk was 250. So I have been lucky enough to see the whole gamut. Um, and be at those varying stages of maturity. Um, so I've been, my, my career has taken a nice nice arc for me to see kind of um, all slices of, of marketing house maturity. Nice. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you taking some time, joining me on the program and sharing some of the things that you're doing. I think no doubt will get people thinking on the program about their processes. And, you know, when you're describing the the committee, I was thinking, you know, rows and columns, right? I could see a column for sales ops and marketing ops and customer service. And, and you know, in those columns was, was their need. And the rows were the, the data fields of what's required for them. So that, as you said, if you're doing enrichment, which you said you're not a huge fan of, but if you go get enrichment and there's 70 potential fields for you to enrich, do you really need those 70 fields? You know, if you're looking at the needs of those different functions and departments, maybe those fields, why suck them into your systems and then have to deal with them later on? Just get what you what you need. So I appreciate you coming yeah. on the program and sharing that. I'd love to circle back with you in 2019 and hear Great. how some of those initiatives are going uh, and maybe some of the things that you're doing differently um, in some months from now. So yeah, let's, let's get you back on the program. Great. All right, Mike. Love to do it. Yeah, thank you. Bet. All right, well, thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high performance marketing.